0: Welcome
1: to Cult and Classic! Welcome, friends and fiends of the pod, to a brand new episode of Cult and Classic Films, the podcast where we talk to you about two thematically linked films, one mainstream and one cult, and discuss them both. So, I'm your host, Nate Wyckoff, film critic and comedian extraordinaire, and with me today I have longtime contributor Mandy Longley. How are you doing today, Mandy?
0: Good, I'm ready to run.
1: Let's go. yeah oh God I'm not ready to run I'm glad that I'm glad that there's actually not a huge amount of of running in this movie I don't think really um yeah not this actually. is yeah not not so much um I so this movie uh is that we're talking about today uh is the first part of our pairing which I call killer reality uh and these are two movies that are sort of based around reality television in which people actually die for the content. Interestingly enough, both of them uh, came from 1987, long before the advent of of the term uh, reality television, which as we sit in this current uh, WGA Writers Guild and SAG strike, um, reality TV really became the norm for television programming uh, during the last writer strike uh, because they, <laughs> decided they didn't have to have writers which is kind of silly because they actually do have writers uh for those who don't know on reality tv shows uh, they don't call them writers because then they would have to pay union fees so what they do is they call them story producers uh and that's how they tend to get around that um they also don't make a huge amount of money for the most part but this these movies really predate reality television yet are so on the ball in, in many ways uh, the first one is our mainstream film, and it is The Running Man from 1987 with Arnold Schwarzenegger, former governor of California. And at the time of the filming of this movie, not yet governor of California. So The Running Man is, uh, I think it's the kind of movie where if you haven't heard of it, if you say the name, your dad will probably go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I remember that. Um, it's one of those like it's a very much a, a TNT like USA afternoon evening movie. Um, it is got a crazy interesting cast of character actors, former game show hosts, Schwarzenegger, of course. Uh, and it's got some some really interesting cameo character casting as well. It is actually based off of a novel by Stephen King. Interestingly enough, uh, Rob Cohen, who produced it uh, when he bought the rights to it, uh, it was s- still not known that Stephen King's pseudonym was Richard Bachman, who wrote the the uh, the original novel for this. So he didn't know it was Stephen King and uh, no one did except for his his publishers. And uh, yeah, still, still today we can kind of see the stamp of Stephen King on the book. And uh, but Richard Bachman was his pseudonym for novels that didn't quite fit his more, his more traditionally developed Stephen King horror role. Now we get the books as they come under his, his, uh, you know, given name, but at the time, that this was made richard bachman was where things like um, the regulators and desperation uh, and I, I believe the longest walk uh was also under richard bachman so it's kind of a different feel He he separated his two styles into two different ways and this as we said is a richard bachman piece so the idea here is that there is a future where See if you can believe this. Where corporations rule the government, food and supplies are scarce and people are frustrated, but those in power hold them in check by trying to entertain them with crass, crude, and vulgar television entertainment. Uh, The most famous of these being The Running Man, which takes uh, supposed criminals, throws them into like a, a giant death labyrinth, and sends in what they call stalkers, which are, uh, uh, sort of comic booky killers with each has a gimmick, uh, and, and sends them in after them. And the theory being that if the person survives, we don't really know how they would survive. Cause we're not given a time limit or anything. It's not like we're told if they live to the morning, then they make it, but if they survive, they supposedly get to live free on uh, in a tropical paradise. And, uh, again, spoiler alert, I'm going to say, as always, this podcast, we do discuss the movie and their plots in detail. So if you want to watch this movie, and you think that we'll spoil it, one, I don't believe we spoil things. I don't think spoilers actually spoil it if it's an interesting movie. But we do tell you what happens. So you can pause it, come back when you watch the movie, the movie is available for streaming on Showtime. So if you have Showtime, uh, or if you if you pay for Showtime added to like Paramount Plus or Hulu, whatever, you can check this out. And while you do it, check out Yellow Jackets. It's a great show. So, The Running Man from 1987. This movie originally was supposed to come out uh, the same time as Predator, uh, of course, starring Schwarzenegger as well. So, they bumped it a month so it wouldn't compete. It was called by quite a few critics to be Schwarzenegger's best movie since the first Terminator film a few years before. Interesting, then, that this movie is kind of forgotten in the the larger budget Schwarzenegger movie. I mean, we think of Terminator. We think of maybe even Total Recall, um, Commando. We don't necessarily think of The Running Man, uh, which is kind of a shame because I'd forgotten until I watched this how much I kind of like this movie. <laughs> we'll talk about a bunch of elements of it, but uh, it is definitely a Schwarzenegger film. He has some quips, some of which are... Uh, adequate and some which are downright ridiculously bad um there was one quip that he gives after defeating a stalker named sub-zero in which he says here's sub-zero now he's plain zero and that is actually a line in the movie um that is not a that is not a pun that is not a witticism that is just confusing uh but it is you know it is this era for sure um the plot is that Schwarzenegger, much like the Death Race remake plot by Paul W.S. Anderson, uh, it is a cop who, or a some sort of peacekeeper, is told to mow down a bunch of innocent people who are rioting for food. And when he refuses, he's uh, thrown into like a work camp prison and uh, the government pins the executed innocence that they killed after subduing him on him. So he's considered a mass murderer. Uh, he and a couple of his pals break out of, pri- of the work prison uh, and he, and they are recaught and he is sent to the running man competition because he's quite strong, obviously Schwarzenegger, and they think he'll make a good contestant. He sure does. He draws the ratings way up, but one by one he kills each of the stalkers that enter the arena, which is not necessarily supposed to happen. And eventually a la Hunger Games, which I think really did take a lot from this, uh, as did Battle Royale and other things that came after uh, sort of these arena fighters and dystopian futures um, schtick they uh, end up taking down the system from within with the help of an underground resistance but what does this movie really have to lend itself? Well, we get a little bit of Robocop dystopian future with satire, but mostly what we get is Schwarzenegger creatively killing uh these goofball stalkers which are played by other professional wrestlers former um former football athletes and uh it's quite a cast so before i get into any of the details beyond what we've talked about okay what i've talked about mandy have you seen this movie before and what were you expecting versus what did you get watching it this time around
0: i definitely must have seen this at some point in time because there's a huge stephen king fan and a really big Schwarzenegger fan. So it was like, no way that I didn't see this. But Mm -hmm. I didn't remember a ton of it. Like, it seemed familiar, uh, but didn't really specifically remember it. Uh, I was expecting ridiculous works, nigger. (laughs) And, you know, but and that's what we got. And it was amazing. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I almost like a surprising amount. um, How much it really kept my interest and how enjoyable it was through start to finish
1: me too i was i was i knew that i enjoyed it well enough when i saw it i mean i'm sure i've seen it a few times before this go around but i didn't remember so many of the neat things in it that i really liked like there's so many there's, there's a shocking number of in jokes in this movie um as well as uh the cast is crazy there's all these character actors that are so recognizable as i said there's other professional wrestlers bodybuilders um Uh, jesse ventura is in this um and doesn't actually his character doesn't even actually really fight in the arena they they digitize him this that's one thing we'll talk about the the use of um deep fake in this uh which is of course this movie is is what four almost 40 years old like 37 years old or something like that i can't do math uh 36 years old 37 but this movie is entertaining uh and it's interesting that it's not only the action because actually there's a lot of moments that aren't action in this movie um especially in the build-up in the beginning they they dedicate some time to world building and while the world that they build is not as shocking as maybe it once was i mean this is even 87 it's not so old that this was all original right i mean blade runner had come out cyberpunk was a thing um you know this isn't nothing was groundbreaking about the concept, but it was done pretty engagingly. Like we have a 30 minutes of movie before they ever get to the TV show. Uh, And yet I wasn't really bored because we have the opening scene of the helicopter um, debacle. And then we have where Schwarzenegger gets to be his most get to the chopper ish, you know, with his line deliveries, because he's speaking to a radio for the first part. So he's just staring blankly ahead, reciting lines, uh, which is A little odd. And then we get him escaping, which is kind of an action set piece. We meet the resistance and a couple of his friends that he, you know, ends up fighting with later. And then we get him going to visit his brother, who we find out has been sent to a re-education camp, which is never touched on again, but you would think that would be quite concerning. Uh, and he ends up finding that the apartment is no longer his brother's, but is uh, the the apartment of maria conchita alonso playing amber and then we get a bit where he sort of doesn't even try i kind of like that he doesn't try and convince her that he's innocent he just says well i am so uh i'm gonna use you as sort of my passage to hawaii and they do this little scam to get through like security checkpoint with only one whatever pass passport whatever it's supposed to be this little barcode Uh, but ultimately she rats on him and he gets thrown into the games then she gets thrown into the games when she realizes that they have been lying about him and she steals the footage that proves it uh the whole thing comes to comes to like a head when the resistance gets a hold of that footage and they're broadcast over tv which causes the audience who's already sort of in favor of of schwarzenegger at that time turned them against it and uh then we get a very much 80s action or like end sequence with you know the villain getting exploded for no clear reason uh yeah so but i enjoyed it i really did and it's really fun to see this is why i love anime series that are like uh mortal kombat-y combat ones you know because every couple of episodes you get a new weird contestant or weird enemy that you have to face and so it's like this even if you something
0: yeah like trigon oh my god
1: exactly like even if something loses steam by the end of an arc you know that as soon as it's done they're going to bring something brand new in um for them to fight against and uh and so that's fun this way um let's so when you saw this i mentioned the the sort of deep fake uh basically at the end things have gone so far off the rails for the production company that they are like okay our 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 final stalker will not fight because he's like an old school it's played by jesse Ventura, which with what i assume has to be like a very odd color choice wig uh it's weird to see him with hair it really really is Uh, i'm not saying it's bad it's just weird uh, because i'm so used to him not having hair but he won't fight so what they do is they have several people act out a fight where where one of the two of the actors presumably are actually killed Uh, and then they use computer technology to put the faces of uh, their stalker and um, both uh, maria alonso and schwarzeneggers into the thing so it looks like they died it's so weird because when i saw this before it was just science fiction now i'm like oh no this actually this is literally real like this is this is deep fake technology which is currently being played with by everyone from like you know teenagers who steal software to to like actual multi-million dollar companies and that's weird and it's especially weird that we watched it this week when SAG members have gone on strike uh partially due to uh, studios wanting to wanting actors to license away their images for reshoots and background shoots uh they want to in some cases they want to full scan their body and face to use at their discretion for a project which that's crazy talk i mean it really is you know terminator-esque future so watching it in this context as opposed to when i was younger and these things were still far off distant fantasies i didn't connect with it as much i just was like oh it's engaging this time i'm like yeah wow corporations really would do this oh yeah wow i could kind of see this like oh this would be donald trump's future like you know what i mean like it's Mm -hmm. it's a lot more upsetting it's like watching um outbreak after covid 19 right like it's just it becomes a completely different experience that is not wholly pleasant um but the running man right we have a lot of uh a lot of implied running we don't see a huge amount of running but we do see a lot of people darting into frame to turn around and deliver lines and stuff uh, let's let's talk about the villains because the, the stalkers are pretty fun
0: they're pretty amazing
1: the first they're one like-
0: yeah, go. First
1: one. Oh, the, yeah, well, the, we'll just go in order, I guess, because the first one is... I'm uh, uh, <laughs> uh, just to remember their actual... their names here uh, is, is Sub-Zero, which is played by Professor Toru Tanaka, who... It, it, it's funny, because this is one of those in-jokes I was mentioning. They call him... They introduce him into the arena as Professor Sub-Zero. The irony is, of course, he, there's no explanation of that, but professor tanaka is the name of um this of this actor's wrestler persona so he's not it's not actually a professor uh but he is called professor in the wrestling ring so it's interesting because they bring it in and then they call him professor um sub-zero as sort of a nod and and so that's I, one of those things yeah i, I didn't i didn't get it and until uh, somebody else told yeah, me get I, was the,
0: like, I get the his actual title
1: yeah like i you know looking at him so that that was interesting and he's uh uh, as i said toru tanaka and then we have uh, and he's he's sub-zero and it is fun that in this case their their actual code names or whatever their stalker names do have to do with the powers or skills they have so he has like a bladed um uh hockey stick and he is he is uh locks schwarzenegger and his two pals into an ice rink of death basically basically and he's going to try and sever their limbs and then kill them uh he doesn't succeed uh and instead schwarzenegger rips part of the razor wire fence off and uh uses it as sort of a a trip wire that wraps around uh tanaku's neck and then he he is he is he's lacerated to death uh it's hard to tell if he's if he's killed that way or if he chokes but that is it and that is where we get the great pun he's not sub-zero he's plain zero again <laughs> they could have tried harder on that line uh yeah so he's fun we get him first and then we get uh, a double a double whammy we get buzzsaw and dynamo right and buzzsaw is played by gus rathwish and buzzsaw is what you may imagine he has a uh, uh, a like a really sharp chainsaw right um and the the actor Gus Reichwith is Wish, excuse me uh is a is a big guy very much wrestler vibes and he's been in a lot of movies Scorpion King uh, he was in Twins in 1988 with Schwarzenegger as well so we have him on a motorcycle swinging his little his little chainsaw of doom around and then we have Dynamo who is fascinating character, uh, played by Erlen Van Litt. It's his last role. Uh, He passed away, I think, two weeks or so before this film actually released. Um, But he plays Dynamo, the operatic singing Christmas light man, kind of, right? Like, he has a bunch of LED lights all over his costume, very Tron-esque. And um, his introduction onto the the arena is he, he sings, I don't know if it's an aria or what it is, I'm not super musically inclined, uh, but he he sings quite well, and he the actual actor was classically trained um, operatic singer, so it was kind of a fun little nod, you know that that little bit when oh producers and directors realize that there's an extra skill this this cast member has, and so they use it. Uh, he shoots electric beams out of his arms, uh, sort of a la shocker in in uh spider-man comics not the movies because shocker did not last long in the movies but those two uh are, are dynamo is is survives the encounter there's very much a a caligula um you know schwarzenegger has him on the ground and everybody's like kill him kill him and he refuses to which of course makes the crowd angrier and uh frustrates the producers who think they're finally getting a big show moment so how is Oh, and we get Buzzsaw's death, right? Buzzsaw is uh is overpowered by Schwarzenegger, and Schwarzenegger uses his the the chainsaw to vivisect him. I guess you would say up between the legs. Uh, and it is a gruesome moment. Uh, we don't get there is there's blood. We don't get a lot of gore. Uh, we just see, which is fine. I think that the shots are actually effective enough. Um, uh, you know, the blood spattering on the face kind of thing. Uh, I'm sure that they certainly could have gone farther had they wanted to, and my guess is Schwarzenegger probably wanted them to because this is still at the time when he was really competing with Stallone and some other um, action now action legends to to have the most like body count films kind of thing. So Buzzsaw is killed, Dynamo is uh, is is depowered and then left to to essentially cry and whine like a, a, a spoiled child. Then we get fireball who is interesting in several reasons he's played by jim brown former football player uh all, I, I think top running yards something along those lines again this is like me talking sports ball it, it's it, i'm not expert on it but uh he is uh, he's he's done quite a few movies and he was uh started as an nfl legend so he plays fireball who is got this great ridiculous sort of white streaked hair uh, a la something that you would have a design you probably would have seen um, by by bruce tim in batman the animated series and he flies around with a little jetpack and uses a flamethrower well as one would expect for a villain that uses a flamethrower the gas can is uh, disconnected and he goes kaboom and uh womp womp we have one uh stalker left who is, is Captain Freedom, I think is his name. And he's played by Jesse Ventura. And he's the one that refuses to actually fight. It's interesting that we don't even see him in his costume. We see it in a part of his costume, which is this really gaudy, shiny robot kind of thing. Uh, and he throws it down and, and says that he's not going to do this. It's not It's not real. This the sport was supposed to be honorable, which is funny because it doesn't, doesn't really seem to imply that there was ever any honor in the Running Man show. But, you know, what are you going to do? uh yeah and Captain Freedom so he survives he never shows up and interestingly enough we also have the actress Sven Thorson and Sven Thorson is was often the villain in these types of movies he starred uh, opposite Jesse Ventura in Jesse Ventura's vehicle Abraxas which um was very interesting there's you can find it everywhere it's streaming everywhere and also Riff Tracks is a very funny riff of it um but it's it's kind of a, you know, Schwarzenegger-esque, as spaceman comes to Earth, falls in love with Earth people kind of thing. Like, that's the whole the space cop. Um, that's what that one is. But Sven is in that movie, and he plays the villain, and he has almost no lines in this one, which isn't that unusual for his roles, especially at this time, because one, he's very large, like muscular guy like that's why he could play a villain and stuff he plays a security guard in this for um the the head honcho of the network who is we'll talk about but he only has like one line i think uh and part of it is is he has a very strong accent and i don't know how i don't know what his delivery was like and if they perhaps intended for more or something else Um, but it works he doesn't have to talk when he delivers his one line it's essentially uh a a clever fu to the producer so he can, you know, let the producer get get his ass handed to him by Schwarzenegger at the end. Uh, but he's in this. He does not have an action scene, which was startling to me because uh, of his, his, his career and physique. Uh, but we also get uh, some really interesting cameos. Um, those are all to me sort of, I don't consider them cameos because they actually play a role that is substantial in the movie, uh, even if they... You know get killed off somewhat quickly uh the people that are cameos to me are the musicians we have dweezil zappa who is a uh, son of frank zappa the famed oddball musician and we also have mick fleetwood from fleetwood and mac and they play mick plays um a character named mick and as another in joke there's so many in this that i'm curious to see what people thought of at the time if they even caught it uh, he, at the beginning, when he first sees the sprung out of jail Schwarzenegger character, he says, uh, you locked up all my friends and burnt all my music, which is the implication is that he makes music in this world, which is, of course, what he does outside of the world uh, in, the, in our real life. So that was an interesting twist. And then we also have um, uh, Dweezil giving the line, um, don't touch that dial, which is from a, a fame song of his father's. So these little in jokes are all the hell over the place, as well as we have the, of course, classic in joke of Schwarzenegger saying "I'll be back," which originally was filmed as uh, apparently as like um, "I'm coming back," but then when Terminator became so iconic, uh, he he was changed to "I will be back." I'll be back. So all sorts of people in this i haven't touched on my favorite role in this movie my favorite favorite role in this whole movie is without a doubt the villain the villain is pretty great uh and he's also very recognizable because he is a real or was a real life game show host right um why my brain is melting here because they don't list him in the credits uh, for quite a while. but um Richard Dawson, excuse me. So Richard Dawson plays uh the the villain, uh the one who is running the show. and it's interesting because he of course did run a show, right? He ran Family Feud and, there, there has been lots of talk. You can there's books on this on Family Feud, and uh, apparently he was quite, he could be quite caustic. Uh, he also was an actor first. He he was in Hogan's Heroes. Uh, he was all sorts of things. He hosted so so many things beyond Family Feud too. He also was occasionally a panelist on the Match Game. Uh, he was he he was in Mama's Family for an episode, uh, which I will always remember because I love Mama's Family, but he plays himself in this movie really uh he plays a game show host who uh, i mean we don't know if he's crooked in the real world but he plays a game show hope that has this schmarmy shtick where he knows how to work the audience and he knows how to sell the product of the show and uh he gets to just ham it up and I, apparently as well the only request he had to take the movie is that he doesn't swear in his position um which is fascinating because it does speak to that idea that He had an image that he wanted to protect as sort of this wholesome host character uh, in the real world. But he's such a scumbag in the film that it makes you think, like, what is the possible damage that could have been done by this character cursing that isn't done by him dooming innocent people to death and playing with lives like crazy, right? It just... is it's sort of a wild yeah, is,
0: it is kind of an odd distinction like it would have been interesting to see the character like swearing behind the scenes like having uh-huh. more like duality in his personality mm. as it was written for the character because like i what i enjoyed the most about the whole movie was like the audience members like these oh, little yes. old ladies and like these meek like middle-aged dudes and like they're picking their favorite stalkers to like send out into the arena and it's just wild that like it's just like a regular game show kind of audience or even like more exaggerated with like mm-hmm. there's so many just like little old ladies in this yeah. audience uh that are just like bloodthirsty like Into the whole, like, idea of all these people being killed in this this live performance. Yeah. But it's, like, it would be Um, interesting because he's working with these little ladies and then behind the scenes, like, have him be even more despicable and, like, using stronger language.
1: Yeah, Um, because he's sort of not, I mean, he's, uh, he is the same character on stage as off stage, right? mm -hmm. He's just more down to earth when he's off stage. Um, Yeah. Whereas I agree, there could have been an interesting interesting twist if he had more of a as you said a duality um we also there's quite a few people sort of in his production that are are noticeable or notable rather uh we have um uh, of course richard dawson himself we also have kurt fuller who plays tony uh which is like his i don't know what exactly his his position in the company would be but he's a some sort of production assistant and uh, we have, of course, as we mentioned, Sven Olthorsen, uh, who plays the security guard, which has the line where he's like, Do Lawson's character is yelling at his, uh, Dawson's yelling at Sven's character. And he says, Do steroids make you deaf? And then, of course, <laughs> it leads to, to Sven's last line when he comes out and uh Killian, which is Richard Dawson's character, thinks that he's saved from the approaching Schwarzenegger. And he's like, uh, what do you basically he asked him a question, like, what do you uh, you know, like well, let take care of him, what are you doing? And he goes, I have to go get some steroids. And he walks away, something like that. <laughs> it's just a goofy, goofy moment. Um, we have his two uh, Schwarzenegger's two friends, which we haven't really talked about, uh, that that of course meet their end. Uh, but uh, pretty, I would say pretty. They they hold their own, and they are both character actors. Marvin McIntyre, uh, he was in Short Circuit, Back to the Future Part Three, lots of of eighties, early nineties stuff. Um, he plays the computer guy, uh, which I kind of appreciate them not overdoing the whole like k- tapping on keyboards. He only has like a couple. He has two scenes with computers, and each time they're fairly archaic seeming frankly, kind of real seeming government computers. Um, They're not very difficult. It's not like he's, you know, he doesn't spend 20 minutes saying, I'm hacking into the mainframe. He just says, hold on, I got to get this. And he does some computery things that get him the stuff. Uh, So I appreciate that. Um, They could have, in other hands, they could have Mission Impossible'd him. You know, Uh, they could have had him sweating over a keyboard for 20 minutes interspersed with scenes of Tom Cruise running. And and that would have been something that some people would, would have gone with but i appreciate they didn't uh but i i'm more thrilled to talk about uh his other friend uh who is um we've talked about before on this podcast yafet koto uh yafet we talked about him in eye of the tiger with um uh gary Busey, pre-accident gary Busey. um he is A fantastic, fantastic actor. He also, of course, was an alien from 1979. He did a lot of really cool stuff. He only ever had one directorial um, project, uh, which is kind of sad because I I think someone like him who has a very strong strong presence and understanding of how to develop a character that stands out even when you don't have a lot of lines, I, I think that they often have something special that they can impart to other cast members from the director's chair. Um, so it's sad he didn't get more. But he did make a film uh, called The Limit in 1972, uh, which was uh, about a a basically it was a, a race conflict um, in a community with with police officers. So uh, involved and it was, it was interesting. Uh, so I definitely recommend that as a watch. But seeing him in this movie made me happy. And I, I wish he died in 2021, but he's always a good watch. So just to cap it, we have Jesse Ventura, Yafit Koto, Jim Brown, NFL legend, Erland Van Litt, uh baritone singer extraordinary, Maria, uh, Maria Conchita Alonso, who I haven't really touched on here, but if her name, if you don't recognize her face in your head right away, uh, her name certainly will be in your head. And she was in Predator 2. Uh, that was, of course, my favorite she's still acting uh she's done a lot of, of spanish language stuff she also uh began i believe as a singer uh and that leads us to sort of another little inside joke in this movie is that they uh they cast her as as quote-unquote amber and she i think that was a stage name at one point and her character also writes music so they really loved the the inside jokes on this in this feature. Um, so the cast is crazy. The cast is really good. You can't go five minutes without seeing someone, and even if you don't know them right away, you'll be like, I know I've seen them before. Um, and even just background, there are background characters, as you said, Mandy. They they have a lot of audience shots, and you can even spot some some fairly known character actors in those audience shots. Uh, but you mentioned something that I really love too, which is when you when they have these segments where um dawson is talking to audience members he he has them pick the next stalker to come out and then as the stalker battles he gives them like prizes upon prizes and it's that old classic like game show you know this and this and you're going home with the home version uh, of the running man you know the board game and i i totally want the board game i'm sure that you can make a kick-ass running man board game uh so y'all get to it the characters that they have come up, the actors that they have, really are, as you mentioned, normal, not particularly attractive, not engaging, very derpy, regular people, uh, almost to an extreme. Right? There's no normal people. They're all the midwestern. It reminds me of when we ta- when we watched um, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, where yes. in the beginning they're yeah, yep. Barb and Star are talking to their group of friends, and they're just mm-hmm really just conservative midwestern ladies uh and fortune feemster and uh and that's the sort of vibe they get Mm -hmm. and we get that with these great audience shots where we see people happy and then horrified when uh uh, one of these stalkers is killed which is so funny right because it's showing us this extreme this extreme uh moral deficiency you know uh the quote-unquote "running men," the the characters that are are trying to survive, are being would be theoretically butchered, and that's okay. But when one of the the executioners is killed, that's a solemn moment. Uh, mm-hmm. But we get we get a very rocky four element where uh, Schwarzenegger's character has been defeating these these stalkers to the point where one the the little the littlest oldest of the little old ladies that uh, are. MC of the show talks to uh to to pick who's gonna make the next kill she picks schwarzenegger and he's like you can't do that like he's and she's like i can pick who the hell i want them. i think she's, she's <laughs> yeah, just like can hey, pick who the can. fuck i want um yeah. and and it's a it was a great moment because it was a really good way of of giving us that like oh the tide has turned like already people which frankly that yeah. that happens right like i mean we see how many times have we seen the Sort of the villain of uh, a a high profile trial becomes some sort of cult hero, um, and sometimes, like in this movie, it's deserved, right, because he's been framed. But you know, in the real world, we I'm not sure how I feel about putting a, a mass bomber on the cover of Rolling Stone. I don't know. Uh, it's but it's a question, but it does happen. These things happen. Uh, but it's definitely a Rocky Four moment, you know, where all of a sudden everyone in in uh, the Soviet Union is is chanting. Rocky's name instead of uh, Dragos but the, something that struck me as interesting about this movie there is a lot of background in this movie they went through a ton of directors um, they also had a lot of people who were interested in playing the lead other than Schwarzenegger uh, Christopher Reeves re- was reportedly interested wow. uh, yeah it's, it could have been be a very yeah it could have been a very different film uh, Don Johnson um, was was interested at the time and uh, I believe, so Paul Michael Glazer uh, directed this film and one may remember him as Starsky from the original Starsky and Hutch. Uh, he directed this movie and he'd he done TV uh, before this as well. A lot of TV. He, I think his biggest, at least for our generation, biggest film is he directed Kazam with Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, but this movie, Schwarzenegger didn't apparently want uh, Glacier to direct because he said Glacer knows TV. Glacier will direct it like a TV show. Uh, and I don't know that he's wrong, but I kind of think it might have benefited it uh, because, which is probably why uh, Rob Cohen chose him uh, after after you know, after several people quit or left due to differences in, in direction because it is about a tv show and so we get these tv show elements like what we were just talking about where um dawson talks to people in the audience and we have pans of the audience and we have uh, little like words from our sponsors brought in through uh voiceovers and so i kind of liked that feel, that sort of one dimensional, or not one dimensional, but two dimensional feel that you get on TV. You know, things have to be filmed quick. Um, there's not a lot of not a lot necessarily a pre-work done for directors. Sometimes you'll get hired and then the next week you're you're shooting the the feature or whatever you're or the TV show that you're shooting. So I think the combination of Glazer's experience with a quick turnaround uh and the fact that he had a TV background and this was sort of a a the set was a tv show essentially i think those were probably the key deciding factors in giving him this movie and i don't think it was terrible uh, i actually kind of enjoyed it in fact as much as i love predator watching it again and that's okay you can send me your hate mail info at com. i think the directing and the script itself were subpar um the amazing thing about the predator was sam winston's predator i mean it just stands to this day as the best most amazing most ar- organically real feeling alien creature in cinema history Uh, it truly is amazing and and the the fact that they can emote so much with the application on because of the eyes and the mouth movement just untouchable it is truly untouchable Uh, you could not do better ever no matter what no amount of cgi could ever improve it it just can't be done that's what makes that movie a classic this movie did not have that benefit, even though there are some great set designs, good effects, etc. It doesn't have the memory, uh, the memorable monster. That's a lot of babbling about ancillary topics, but overall, The Running Man was pretty cool. Uh, I think that's a good way to say it. I'm not even going to say it was necessarily good or bad. It's just kind of a cool movie. I liked what I saw. I wanted to see what they would throw at us next, and I cannot wrap up our podcast without talking about the dancers uh there are much like you get (laughs) like like the
0: cheerleaders yes they they,
1: to open the show and on the intermissions and the commercial breaks they have a troop of i don't know 20 to 30 um, women in very 80s uh jazzercise uh, aerobic gear who do choreographed dance and normally when my wife and i are watching these things uh corinne and i will will one of us will say and that's when the choreographer died because that is of course a famous callback to uh rocky horror show when, when sort of the choreography falls apart um and i was tempted to say it but it's not true the choreography is actually really on point and i was stunned to see so many women on stage that were actually all clearly dancers they're not people who can move uh okay or people who are just really beautiful they're dancers they are dancing uh and there's actually quite a few of them were lakers girls um and the reason for that is because of who choreographed the dance scenes which was none other than paula abdul Paula Abdul choreographed the dance numbers in The Running Man, which if you were to tell me that Paula Abdul was only, what, two two steps removed from Stephen King in some way, I would not have known how to answer or believe you. But it is the case. She choreographed dance scenes for a film adaptation of a Stephen King novel. Okay, that is a lot of weird factoids about this movie. Uh, I think we can move on to recommendations. It's mostly been just me babbling, but I enjoy this movie. I think there's a lot of things that are fun to point out and I urge people to see it. So that's my recommendation. If you like action, if you like 80s movies, if you like that little bit of sci-fi or even a little tinge of horror thrown in there, um, some near future uh, post-apocalyptica, this is the way to go. If you like the Hunger Games, if you like Battle Royale, uh, the Japanese films or comics, uh, frankly, i have words to say about that but if you like those things give running man a shot because i think this it may not have originated the concept by any means but it's certainly solidified how it would look and feel in the american consciousness and that has played out through every single film that has followed it um and is that kind of arena combat i mean it's everything right up to you know real steel the the film the 2000-ish era film with Hugh Jackman right that has a similar sort of feel Robot Wars has a similar feel to some of this so Mandy would you recommend 1987's The Running Man if so why and to who
0: absolutely I would recommend this is super fun uh from start to finish and Arnold Schwarzenegger is just such a like a gem like we're so lucky to have had him like in (laughs) American film. Like, I just, I specifically, I mean, just he's, like, a big kind of brute of a dude, right? But, like, I feel like every role that he's had, like, maybe even Terminator, he brings, like, this, I want to say dopey, but, like, vulnerability. Just kind
1: of a puppy, and like, because of his voice goof- and the way he, yeah.
0: Goofiness, and not just his accent, it's just how he is. um mm-hmm. He, like, brings that in, and it's just so, like, nice to balance out like these big rough tough characters that he plays mm-hmm. and um even this is like a like a death amaze is killing off like these crazy characters uh i just really like how he plays characters and this was no exception so i for that is it's nice as well so if you are a sports fan and you haven't seen this definitely see this uh, i think all your other recommendations and like parallels that you drew to this like if you're uh younger movie fan and like you you know maybe more familiar with hunger games because it is a newer film like you will probably enjoy that um this as well it has like a similar start they like dump you into the scenario into this world and you just sort of have to um figure it out and fend for yourself and find weapons as you can and figure out the landscape um, as they go and then you never know they never they never know as a consistent what is going to be thrown at them next just like they would in, like you know would not know in hunger games Also, uh, so in that way it's very kind of similar storytelling style so i probably enjoy that uh, but overall it's just fun like and it has like just the classic 80s visuals so uh, like hair they're amazing like leotard uh <laughs> like outfits when they're super high crotch like, like yeah
1: yeah like, the, the...
0: yeah like i don't know lycra
1: body suits yes
0: yeah. the lycra body suit like head to toe mm-hmm. um costumes that that the running men have uh the crazy ass sled that they send them down
1: yes like that in... was a... so those were amazing shots right to get into the arena they yeah. strapped them into these little um like other other films would call them like tunnel rats or whatever, but these little yeah. bob sleds, and they shoot them down these tight sewer-like tubes. And mm-hmm. there's it was a very cool effect. They looked fast, the sparks looked real. it was i'm not I'm not totally sure how they attained some of those visuals because my mm-hmm. assumption going in would be, well, the easiest thing to do would be move them and then speed the film up, which certainly mm-hmm. it does appear that the speed the film will speed it up. But there's also sparks that appear to move at, at the what right I would, speed. Ex- yeah. So it's yeah. really kind of shocking, and it was very good. Um, that mm-hmm. is something I could not see being uh, attained by someone who only mm-hmm. could think in TV terms. So right. give Glazer and the art direction on that a plus. Yeah,
0: that was definitely a very cinematic experience. Uh, also, in this, a wonderful practical effects. I mean, I particularly love. Um, watching older films for this podcast because we go back to times where they didn't have access to cgi and they were you know maybe they were doing models or something like that but mm-hmm. like so much of what was being done was animatronics or just practical effects whips, mm-hmm. that kind of thing and like, it just has such a more like visceral sort of impact on you than something that is very clearly created by a computer um, or an artist. Uh, it I don't know, so I appreciate it for that as well. So if you like practical effects and like extreme costuming, like this would be one that you would enjoy
1: also. Very much so. And the costumes have Adidas logos on them. If you look carefully, you can catch mm-hmm. them. Uh, I, I agree completely. And just to throw it back to like of a certain era, there are matte paintings in this. Right, like the the uh, the the buildings they use to look futuristic for the production and for the arena, they're real places, uh, and they and they use they they exaggerated them by including matte paintings merged into the background for them and and built on them that way, and it looks awesome. Uh, it looks really cool. The cityscape is very. This will fit right in with your Blade Runner um, movie marathon. You know, this will be the palette cleanser where it's it's just action and not super heavy. I would do want to. I, I ragged on the witticisms in this movie. There are actually a couple of good ones, particularly when um, Schwarzenegger is trying to escape uh, with uh, Maria's character in tow, and he's wearing this super—well, uh, like I am—this super Palm Springs, Hawaii shirt, uh, and she's like, "I think I'm going to throw up," and he's, "I'm going to throw up on your on your." I'm going to throw up on you. No one would be able to tell on this shirt or something like that. Um, And then at the end, then when she's in the arena with him, like an hour later, she's like, I wish that we'd just gone to Hawaii. And he's like, "Uh, I had the perfect shirt, but you ruined it. Like, it's just, you know, the callback was unexpected. So there are some good moments in there uh, from the humor, but there are also, you know, the 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 plane zero and the uh at one point i think he's like have a nice fall or something as ridiculously cliche as that when he throws a guy over a railing in the beginning uh but you know it's kind of what we expect from that era of action star Uh, and we still do it marvel movies do it all the time um but it doesn't seem as corny to us but in 10 years Mm -hmm. it will uh, once again so thank you all listening so much. It sounds like we both got a recommendation going for The Running Man from 1987. I do want to give a, a heads up. Next week is going to be the second part of Killer Reality with another 1987 film, Death Row Game Show. This one is uh, directed and penned by the co-scriptor of another film that we did long ago, uh, My Mother's a Werewolf, uh, which we had a lot to say about and was super fun uh, with the a venerable cast of delightful people and i'm really excited to see this one Uh, i believe vinegar syndrome did a re-release of it so we will talk all about that next week and until then please like subscribe check us out on youtube and our website coltonclassicfilms.com sign up for our newsletter and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts so others can find us send us requests anything you want to info at coltonclassicfilms.com thanks so much and play us out as always is the chud with all about evil we